iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. You're what, 16? And I'm thinking, here's a kid who's gonna go places, and then somehow you just didn't. Oh, yeah. Tim Lippy didn't know where his life was going. I need you to go down to Cedar Rapids and prove Brown Star's a good outfit. Oh, sweet. But that was before Cedar Rapids. Incredible. There's palm trees. The whole place smells like chlorine. It's like I'm in Barbados or somewhere. This insurance convention is important. You can count on me. One thing. Steer clear of Dean Ziegler. Don't stock my mini bar, please. Hey, Ned, getting some honey on your stinger? I love it. The Rhinomo. <laughs> What's the matter, friend? You never seen a chocolate vanilla love sandwich before? This is a party headquarters right here. Of course, I have my guilty pleasures of antiquing. Shots, let's do them. Okay, cream sherry. Cream sherry. This one's weird. You look like R two D two. That's not what he sounds like. I'm having a perfect moment. Insurance agents get people's lives back on track. You are a hero. You're a Superman type. We're gonna be fine! Just give me your hand, bro. I don't trust people with ponytails. Oh, Ed Helms. If you want to party, you let me know. You got it. Party hardy. <laughs> I made love to a woman. She's not that pretty yet. Her mouth tastes like cigarettes. John C. Riley. If you want to survive this business, you got to dance with the tiger. How do you make the tiger dance? You got to show him a little teat. I don't even want to know. I'm so bummed out! I'm so bummed out! Where's Timble? He's practically my best friend at this point. You just met him two days ago. You're probably uninsured. No! Timbo! Hey! I'm straight up gangster, and I always keeps one in the chamber in case you pondering. What happened back there? I looked up and Ronald was talking like a ghetto person. But I do a pretty convincing Omar from the HBO program The Wire. Cedar Rapids. What happened? I got beat up, got completely blotto, and befriended a prostitute. It was awesome. Someone deserves two bags of honey roasted peanuts. Two bags. Super awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Leah Rosen of the New York Times, and tonight's guest, this is so awesome, nearly the, oh, you're going to do it? Well, oh, Leah Rosen of the New York Times, and tonight's guest, nearly the entire cast of Cedar Rapids. Nearly the entire cast and director, Miguel Arteta. Uh, I, I should correct that. I only write freelance for the New York Times. Really, I write for the rap.com. Don't want to misrepresent myself. Uh, why don't we have everyone introduce themselves just for a second? Then I will ask a number of questions, and then we will open it up for your questions. So if you can just go down the line and introduce yourself. I, I couldn't have had a better introduction already. Thank you, Miguel Arteta. Director. Uh, I am cast member Ed Helms. I play Tim Lippy. And co-executive producer. Yes. Uh, executive Wait. producer. Executive producer. <laughs> and king. But who's counting? I didn't spend any money on this film. But my name is Alia Shokat. I play Brie. I'm Ann H. And I play Joan Ostrowski-Fox. I'm Isaiah Whitlock, Jr. And I play Ron the Ronimo Wilkes. Ron. 
Now, as you can tell from the, the trailer you saw, this is one of those really lovely, oddball, quirky comedies. It's the kind, I, I mean, I sort of, when Netflix was looking to figure out a better algorithm, the movie they used was Napoleon Dynamite. If you could figure out if people like Napoleon Dynamite or wouldn't, you would have the magic formula. And I think this sort of fits into it. I love this film. Some people are going to sort of sit there, though, and go, hmm. It helps if you've been to the Midwest. Uh, what I thought we'd start off with, though, is just sort of how this came together. Ed was instrumental. If you can sort of talk about where, at what point did you come in and how long did it take? Um, well, uh, well, it's... It started with the seed of an idea from the writer, Phil Johnston. And he uh, thought that I would be a good person for, for this idea. So a mutual friend introduced us. And we kind of brainstormed on these characters in this world. And uh, I immediately sparked to it. And I sparked to Phil because I think he's a genius. And then Phil went off and wrote the damn thing in like two weeks, which was insane. Uh, and then that was the script that, uh, that was the draft that got Alexander Payne on board and uh, Jim Taylor and Jim Burke. Who did election, did about Schmidt. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, and, who's, and Jim sideways. Taylor, who's here, by the way, our producer. Thanks for some... And that was it. That was the sort of, uh, the, that's the origin story. Okay. And your character is sort of the ultimate innocent, going to the big bad city of Cedar Rapids from a small Wisconsin town. Mm -hmm. uh, is anyone that innocent? And how did you work on that in the script and then in the execution of the film? That's a good question. I don't know that any, I mean, uh, since I have family here, I, I will go ahead and admit I am that innocent. In real life. Um, but, uh, no, Tim Lippy is an extreme character for sure. But he's also, I think, kind of plausible. Once you learn his backstory uh, in the movie uh, and you learn that his parents died when he was, when he was very young and no one really stepped in. Uh, but he worked as, like, a file clerk at this insurance company in this tiny town and just never challenged himself. And as... Uh, Stephen Root says in the beginning, this brilliant line. Uh, I, I remember thinking, "You, you, here's a kid who's gonna go places," and then somehow you just didn't. And that's uh, it's just sort of this inexplicable. Um, I don't know. He's stuck and he's stunted, but uh, he's very innocent. I drew on a lot of my own experience. <laughs> How did you come up with the name Ted Lippy? Tim Lippy. Tim. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Tim Lippy. Uh, that is all. Uh, there are some wonderful names in this entire script, um, uh, and and there, uh, the writer Phil is from Wisconsin and worked as a weather caster in Iowa for a while, um, and just had had a grip on that uh, sort of Eastern European immigrant name, German Germanic kind of thing going. I don't know. All right. When you're making the film as the director, what are the challenges with a character that that wonder struck by everything? Um, 
Well, yeah, you know, you, you have to uh, really uh, uh, kind of get the audience in their point of view. Like, you know, anyone that would see the red car that he sees and says, you would say sweet, I would imagine, probably. Like, you know, you, you try to put yourself in his, his point of view uh, where little things really are enormous for him. Uh, like being on a plane, this guy's never been on a plane before and he's really game to help out <laughs> if anything happens in the plane. Uh, you, just, you just try to, uh, to uh, uh, allow that, that conceit to be, uh, to be the, you know, the ultimate truth of the film. Okay. Was the performance there from the beginning or did you two sort of talk it through, figure it out? Did you find it a week in, two weeks in? Sorry, the character of Tim. Uh, you know, I, working with with Phil from day one, it, it was always something that I was that was evolving in my head up all the way up until when we started shooting. And then, of course, Miguel and I collaborated on on Tim's particular take on a given scene or whatever. But but kind of who Tim was was something that always, from the very beginning, resonated for me, and uh, and I kind of got it and understood. Which and I just really w wanted to do it, so I think um, that homework was kind of automatic in a way. Right. I read an interview out of Sundance where the film premiered, where you said it was sort of like The Wizard of Oz, with Tim as Dorothy, you guys as the various woodmen, strawmen, etc. Is that a fair? Did he make a fair analogy? You know, you're showing him. You're showing him the ropes. You're showing him the way to Oz. Would I dare contradict our director? <laughs> no, I think when that came up, because we were asked about that in Sundance, actually, and then we all kind of looked at each other and said, well, who are you? Well, who are you? And it was kind of a combination of, yes, he was Dorothy, and we went along this road, but we just couldn't figure out which, which person was which. But I it, was Toto. You, <laughs> <laughs> I think it is, of course, it's fair. We take him into a world and we go on. And, and, but I think what's unique about this film is that we all go down a road. We all take a journey. And one of the things that's surprising is not only our effect on him, but then Tim's effect on us. So that by the end of the film, all, all of them, uh, these unlikely characters that have come together have been have been moved and, and, and changed a little bit by each other. And and it, it was something that was said, not, not that we wanted to leave Cedar Rapids in Cedar Rapids, but we wanted to believe that these characters would carry on as friends. This is a movie about, about friendship, and they, they did. They bonded by the end, and I think that's one of the wonderful things. By the end, you do believe that they have all come together in, a, in, a, in, a, in the beautiful love of friendship. Now, in shooting the movie, Ann Arbor actually stood in for Cedar Rapids. Uh, how many of you are from the Midwest, have Midwest experiences? Did you spend time to acclimate? Can you go through and talk about that? Acclimate. <laughs> Isaiah? Well, I'm from uh, South Bend, Indiana. And uh, so I, I, I born and raised. And then I spent about four years in Minnesota. So when I got the chance to play an insurance man from uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota, I thought, well, this, this is perfect. I mean... Uh, I mean, this, I really sort of felt like this is something I, I think I can bring something to this guy, something I, 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 I uh, know how to do. But uh, uh, I think there is a bit of a, of a difference, you know. I don't, I don't think, uh, 
uh, people in the Midwest are as rough around the edges as they are on the coast. And I mean, I say that in a positive way because I don't think you need to be all the time. But uh, but I felt that growing up in the Midwest and living in the Midwest, uh, I pretty much had a good handle as to uh, uh, the way things are and what I wanted to do with the character. I'm from Aurora, Ohio. I think that shows in the film. <laughs> I'm from Palm Springs, California. So. Sorry. Well, then, I guess we should clarify. She plays a prostitute who hangs out at hotels in Cedar Rapids. There's a lot of those in Palm Springs. Well, so. my, my question was going to be, did Wait. you study up with prostitutes in Iowa? Did I have sex with strangers no, for money? No, no, no. Did you do research? <laughs> um, no, I didn't. I, I feel like Brie was kind of like new at the game. She was okay. probably just oral sex and <laughs> mainly just pushing drugs. You know, I want her to be likable, so... Uh, I, well, I'm from Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, but I, I went to college in Ohio for four years. And uh, I think you can tell watching the movie that I went to college in Ohio. I brought that. Um, and no, but I do think that that, of course, informed the, the I don't know, my sort of actually I, just my affection for the Midwest. One of the things that we've sort of realized recently is that we have created an entirely new genre of movie, which is the Midwestern. <laughs> and, uh, and having a writer from Wisconsin, um, you know, the cast from the Midwest, and a producer from Omaha, Nebraska, it, it of course is a Midwestern, which is exactly why we hired a Puerto Rican to direct it. That- <laughs> That was my next question, Miguel. You are from Puerto Rico. You have made a movie in Texas. Is The Good Girl not? Where's The Good Girl? Um, the Good Girl was set in Texas, yes. Yep. Chuck and Buck? Uh, was set in Los Angeles. Yes. Okay. Uh, Youth and Revolt? Uh, was set in Berkeley, uh, south of Berkeley. Okay. Yeah. And now you're going into the heartland. To the heartland, yes. How, uh, how was that? And, you know, were you, was it a constant journey of discovery for you? Well, this is pretty great because uh, as a young kid in Puerto Rico, I grew up dreaming of making a movie about the Midwest my whole life. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I don't know what got into them, but uh, God bless them. Uh, uh, I, uh, I, I feel so honored and so well protected about because everybody had, had a, a sense for it. Uh, but, you know, I could really relate to the movie from a different point of view, just like of a very innocent person going to a convention and don't knowing who to trust and not knowing what the rules are. That's what every immigrant experience is, you know. Coming to this big country, you're completely lost, all new rules. And uh, so I really related to the film from that angle. Okay. Uh, the entire, most of the movie, the bulk of the movie, is set in this hotel. The corridors, the swimming pool, etc. Were you guys staying in that hotel? Oh God! Thank God, no. <laughs> yeah. We were staying in a much nicer place called the Marriott Ypsilanti, so it was uh, like worlds away from from this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure with the commute from Ypsilanti, we probably would have been better off. But uh, no, that the the hotel was actually gussied up a lot. By our, by our production designer. I, I read new paint, some new furnishings. I mean, new chandeliers, plants everywhere, some, some 
uh, mosaic around the pool or something. All the, when we when you walked into that place raw, it was not a very warm environment. <laughs> so were these some of the most glamorous settings you've ever done a movie at? Definitely. Um, yeah. I think that what we were looking for the mainly is the smell of the chlorine to really get the comedy going, you know. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, we were there like 16 hours a day for 40 days, and I think definitely we lost a lot of brain cells. So you would just take a whiff, and then you'd be ready to do a scene? Okay. Yeah, just sort of put you there. Yeah, all right. Uh, which brings me to my next question, which is how did you achieve the film's signature mix of sweetness, raunch, and pathos? I mean, that's, that's a very delicate balance. In Am the I the film. raunch? <laughs> just a little. Just checking. <laughs> I mean, it's a delicate balance that you manage throughout. There's scenes that go from one to the other in the blink of an eye. You know, if we were looking at the multiple takes, would there be scenes where it wasn't there? Um, well, uh, you know, uh, in order to achieve that, I think you have to not think about it, you know. You know, just, just beg these guys to never try to get a laugh and never try to get sympathy, just be in the scenes. And if something happens to be ridiculous we don't notice and if something happens to be heartbreaking we don't notice and uh, uh, but everybody came to it with an understanding that we weren't making a broad comedy even though we had the license to to be, have very honest language and very honest things like blowjobs happen in this film um, uh, but uh, 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 I think that we all understood that like we wanted to ground these characters I think, I think everybody knew that there was a, a place of pain or damage where these people started with and the comedy actually comes from my favorite place, pain. Yeah, I, I also think that Phil created a script that, that, uh, that, first of all, just had all of those ingredients kind of in the right proportions. But then it was also a script that, that was, I don't know, it, it, I think it told us as actors so much of what to do. And it, it felt like so much was... There, even even you know, just the as a complete script, not even looking at your own scenes necessarily, but the whole world, um, it it was, it's full of uh, silliness and heartbreak. What was the easiest scene in the movie to shoot, and what was the most difficult? I say, uh, I would say, you know. It, to me, all of the scenes were, were a little difficult uh, because you're trying to achieve certain things. Uh, and if the scene wasn't really all that difficult, it was, you know, incredibly cold out. So there was, it seemed like every day there was How something. Cold? <laughs> no, it was cold. <laughs> it's Michigan in yeah. December. Okay. <laughs> but it just it just seemed like there was it, you know it, it was always something you know either you're trying to work something out but but there was always something that kind of balanced it out uh, uh, because I I, I got to admit there were times when I, I I never really felt like you know I never stopped and said you know we're shooting a comedy you know I mean there was nothing about that you know it was always yeah we're going to work this and yeah it's going to get a little silly or something like that uh, but. Um, we gotta, you know, try to keep it real and and make sure that we get certain moments and things like that in, and then we piece it all together. But um, 
uh, as far as a scene being easy, uh, for me, it seemed there never was. <laughs> uh, the easiest for me are the ones I'm not in. And the hardest ones were... Um, I don't know. I think it was kind of tricky to to uh, create a relationship, but no are we one, boring no you? One's hurt. It's boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, just creating the right tone in in the relationship um, between Tim and Jones, so that you you believed their um, their kind of desire for the affair, and you also believed their um, their understanding of each other enough that they would become friends. So uh, that was that was uh, a delicate. Delicate and fun process. Not to say it, it was that hard. It was just that was that, those were delicate moments for all of us on on, on the set. Um, I think the warehouse scenes, the party sequences, were difficult because it was like really late nights. And um, there's a very scary party. They all end very up very scary. Where they start. They begin having a good time, and then it turns yeah. nasty. We're on some drugs. You are in just about every scene in the movie. A lot of scenes. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the easiest scenes were anything, uh, uh, with John C. Riley because he's just, uh, joy to watch. Was that all scripted or was some of that improvised? Some of it was improvised. Um, I won't tell you how much. No, I'll tell you 17%. Um, (laughs) I I am actually not sure. It was kind of, it's a mix, but, uh, John is a, fantastically brilliant improviser and a, and a wonderful guy, but he's also just such a Im- present actor and he's always engaging you kind of right in your eyes and it's a little bit terrifying but also exhilarating. So those are really fun. And then uh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to back you up, Alia. The party scenes were really hard. Really, it was freezing cold. We were in the middle of nowhere and uh, uh, and you were getting hit <laughs> continually. And, oh, and I yeah, I got beat up, which uh, which and I nearly I really rang my bell hitting that wall, and it's not even in the movie. <laughs> it's a beautiful DVD extra. Could have at least put it in the yeah right DVD extra. We put a pad behind a piece of wallpaper for me to bang into, but it was like this thick the pad. So I uh, uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, I'm ba- about three or four millimeters. Um, <laughs> And and I banged my head against it, take after take after take, and and uh, I think it was just for Miguel's weird sadistic amusement. All right, and Miguel is the director. We're going to go to cue the questions from the audience right after this. What was as the director? What was the most difficult scene to shoot in the movie? Well, uh, you know the climbing wall scene. I think we we saw him. Uh, uh, we did on the on the sixth day on the on the, at the end of the sixth day of a six day week uh, uh, at the sixteenth hour. It was like nine in the morning when we started climbing that wall, and we had Ed up there for three hours, doing it for real, just hanging for dear life, while we kept like you know like just farfing around him, <laughs> and uh, it was pretty brutal for everybody involved, I, I think. Um, and uh, the easiest scenes were, without a doubt, the sex scene between Ed and Sigourney Weaver. I had no idea it would just be bam, just go like that. You must have been, since you saw Ghostbusters, being like, saving up. (laughs) Um, To clarify, she plays his seventh grade teacher. He was 11 at the time. Now, many years later, they're having an affair. uh, And a relationship. Yes, he considers they're pre-engaged. She has other ideas about it. 
I'm proud to say she, she informed us it's the first time in her illustrious career that she's had an orgasm on screen. I was very happy about that. This, right? Let's hear it for Ed Holmes. Uh, <laughs> she said she got really close with Mel Gibson in the year of living dangerously, but no. <laughs> I'm going to assume it's the Midwest in you. Uh, let's go out to cute audience questions. Who has a question? Raise your hand. We They've have got a mics. microphone, so we'll bring it to you. If you raise Gentleman your hand. in the baseball cap. First, I'd like to say thank you for coming. Um, I'm starstruck. I got to tell you, I'm a fan of all of yours. I, I've seen each and every one of your work. Uh, what was the chemistry on set? Like, like how did you get this cast together? Did you guys just find it a lot easier just with the personalities you guys have and just it just came together? Well, uh, thank you for having us, although I'm kind of pissed because I was told Steve Jobs was, was going to be here. Uh, no, I, that was very kind words. Much appreciated. And uh, none of us knew each other, and I think we're all such different people. And uh, I like to point out that about that if somebody told me two years ago that I would be in a movie with Alia Shawcut, Anne Haish, Isaiah Whitlock, and John C. Riley, I would say there is no movie where that would make sense. <laughs> and then Cedar Rapids came up, and it just happened to make perfect sense, and not just as characters. But as people, as actors, there really was an easy and very rapid bond. And, of course, it helped that it was 712 degrees Kelvin below absolute zero outside. And, uh, and so we had to stay in close <laughs> proximity. Um. Uh, anyhow, I think that, that that's us. I mean, like, we're trying to get this, you know, Wizard of Oz chemistry between these four characters. So it was a delight to get, you know, I, we thought, who will make Ed very uncomfortable? Anne Hayes, let's get her. <laughs> and then we were like, who will be a complete loudmouth but also break your heart? Let's get John C. Riley. And then it was really hard to find Geronimo. Uh, and it was such a delight when we uh, found Isaiah. And he came to us, and uh, it was instantaneous. I remember watching with you uh, 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 the, the audition, and we were like, one of those moments, Deronimo has arrived. It was awesome. I just and need to know, was the wire joke in the script already, or did, was that tailored to your talents? No, that was, that was in the script uh, way before I had anything to do with it. Uh, I mean, I, I, I wish I was that brilliant to, to put something like that or, or do something like that, but I'm not. Uh, but uh, but it, it was there uh, way before I had anything to do with it. And uh, I think, Ed, you were saying earlier that you had wanted to uh, remove it or, or take well, it out. Uh, of course, because Isaiah's on the wire, we, we can't make a wire joke in the movie. I mean, that's too self-referential. It's too meta. Well, it's a, you know, I'm a huge nerd about comedy rules and all this stuff, so I've... I fought to take it out, <laughs> and I'm glad I lost that battle because it, it was at our premiere at Sundance. It was by far the biggest laugh in the whole movie. But you know, I, I do have to say though, is the way we set it up in the movie that is to me is what makes it work. That, that by the time things that it comes up, I, I really get the feeling you don't really care about the other. That it's the moment's gonna play regardless, you know. And the, by the fact that you know that I, I was on the wire is even more. But but the moment's gonna play just by the way we uh, 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 set it up, you know. That you'll still enjoy it because I haven't really revealed anything up until that moment. 
To me, it's all about the way you pronounce the word program. Right before every time you mention the wire, it's yeah. not it's not the show, it's not the wire, it's always the TV program, the HBO program, the That's wire. Right. <laughs> Ka-ching. Uh, all right, who else has a question? Don't be shy, as we say. Surely you came here prepared. Don't call me Shirley. Sorry. <laughs> okay, gentlemen in the back with a hat. We're only ask only people with hats get to ask questions today. I'm sure a lot of people at the Genius Bar have questions. <laughs> a lot of Genius Bars have really good hats um, for here. But uh, I actually wanted to ask a question. Um, I know sometimes, like uh, Ed, you're on the office. Um, I can never pitch you you like other than someone from like hangover sometimes you know like as an actor how do you move on from that like i was the guy that got his tooth pulled out you know or like even from you isaiah like being on the wire how do you go to another film or another place you know for the rest of the actors knowing that someone probably knows me from something else how do you react to well the, i mean the short answer is you 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 can't control how you're perceived uh I mean, you you can control what you do, and so all you do is keep trying to find projects that are stimulating and that you think are cool and and good, and then it's really up to the to the public how the, how you're going to be perceived. And I, I I I don't know that I even feel a responsibility to change anyone's opinion. Um, uh, I I just. Uh, I think for all of us, it's a matter of just gravitating towards material that we respond to and that we like. Does that make any sense? Yeah, but and I, I also, you know, it, it, to me, it's a bit of it's a bit of, it's always a bit of a challenge. But I, I do believe that uh, you know I can make people forget, you know, uh, uh, the the last thing I did, uh, unless. That's what you're looking at, you know. I mean, I like to be able to feel like I can move from one area to to another and not drag, uh, say, uh, Clay Davis from The Wire uh, into what it is I'm doing. I mean, you're always going to see a little bit of of just myself, but uh, but the character, no, no. I I always like that challenge of doing something totally different from from what I did the last time. Yes, ma'am, in the front row, if we can get a microphone here. What does it mean to be the executive producer? What, is, what does it Excellent mean? Excellent question. What does that mean that you do? Well, it, it basically, that... <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I should be offended that I feel like I have to justify myself to my own aunt on the front row, <laughs> but um, uh, I told you not to ask that. Uh, no, in, it can mean a lot of different things, actually. And uh, in many cases, executive producer is, means two things. Uh, either you invested in the movie, or it's a vanity title for somebody who provided some service or lent their name or something to the movie. Um, I did neither of those specific things. Uh, but this was uh, the result of my involvement in the project from day one and just sort of um, pushing hard all the way through the whole ride to try to see it through. Um, 
And I think we should upgrade it to producer. Uh, there's still time. Yeah, there's, there's still time. <laughs> we have four more days. King of all media. Doesn't it sound like this is something that people in show business, and I was certainly confused about before I was in show business, it, producer it, it has more weight than executive producer. So I'm an executive producer. These guys are like Jim Taylor over there is a producer. Well-deserved. Also, if anyone who watches movies these days, you will see 12 different people listed as producer, some of whom are merely cousin to one of the stars. In this film, Ed actually did. Well, ounce might also be able to get in there if they work their magic. <laughs> what producers do. How did you hook up, for lack of a better word, with Mr. Johnson, the screenwriter? Did you know each other before? Did no. he simply send uh, you a script? So uh, we have a mutual friend named Owen Burke who is... Uh, an old friend of mine from New York City comedy days, and he's an executive at a production company in L.A. now, and he had read some of Phil's work and and uh, brought him in for... Uh, Phil wrote an amazing script called Jeremy Orm is a Pervert, and that was sort of his calling card. And uh, so he called him in, and, and Phil said, yeah, I got this idea for this movie. I really like uh, Ed Helmsford, and Owen's like, he's my old buddy! So... The, uh, Owen just got us together, and that was it. Okay. Uh, any non-relatives with questions? Or relatives? <laughs> relatives are allowed, yes, right in the center, if someone can get a microphone there. Um, this is sort of in relation to, um, for Mr. Helms, about when somebody, you mentioned about trying to change the way people perceive you in movies. I was just wondering, you've done comedy for so many years, and you're obviously very good at it. Would you ever consider drama? There's a lot of people that do comedy and then they roll over into drama and they're very successful at it, like John C. Riley. Would that be something you would ever consider? Or are you comfortable with your you know, comedic style and that niche that you've carved for yourself? Um, well, jo actually, John's an interesting case because I, I think he kind of started out more dramatic. And uh, I saw him on Broadway doing True West. Uh, which is the opposite of comedy. <laughs> but uh, And he's just a staggering sort of dramatic actor who went that way into comedy. I, I don't... Uh, I'm kind of open-minded, but I, I'm, I love comedy. It's the only reason I do this. That's why I got into this, was to just to be in big, stupid movies. Uh, some of my favorite movies are the dumbest movies of all time. Like... You know, Fletch and Vacation and Ghostbusters. <laughs> and those are the movies that just intoxicated me as a kid and captured my imagination. And so for now, uh, comedy seems to be working. I love it. I don't, have, I don't have a lot of... I'm not trying to spread my wings so much at this point. Did I just read last week that Fletch is being rebooted? I read that too. Should we look for you and Fletch? I, I, we should pro maybe we should start a whisper campaign. <laughs> All right, who else has a question? We have time for one more question. Uh, then I guess, sorry, it's the gentleman on the corner. Oh, all right, fine, you. Yes, the question is for Miguel. Uh, how did you uh, begin your filmmaking career? Where did you study filmmaking? And, and uh, what gave you the, the drive to be a director? Well, um, uh, I owe my film career to my car mechanic. And it's totally a true story. Like, I, uh, I uh, made a short film. Uh, His car mechanic was Martin Scorsese. Yes, right? yes, he was fantastic under the hood. Um, uh, I made a short film, a, a musical, and uh, 
I, I made videotapes to give to all friends who have producers, you know, and then my last tape, I, I had this mechanic, Jim, that if, uh, if I talked like the American politics with him, he would fix the car for free. And I loved him. And I said, I have to give you the last copy of my short film. And two years later, he found me in New York and said, you know what? I love the movie. It's great. And Jonathan Demme is going to love it. He's going to meet you this Sunday. He wants to see your film. And, and I was like, Jim, how do you know Jonathan Demme? And he's like, well, he, he's married to my, I mean, he's, his cousin is married to my ex-wife. And, you know, it's all set up. They're making a documentary about his cousin. Just go down there. And lo and behold, Jonathan Demme watched my short film and became my mentor. And that's how I got my career started. So be nice to your mechanic would be the moral of the story. So thank you for coming. Cedar Rapids opens Friday. Go, tell your friends to go, etc. Thank you all. Thanks for having us. Thank Thanks you. for coming, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.